Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Happy Mother's Day. Can we give our moms a hand right now? Just in the chat, type clap, 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 or something of the like, and let's just celebrate our moms together. Now, even as we celebrate Mother's Day, I do want to acknowledge that Mother's Day comes with a mixed bag of emotions for some of us. Maybe due to a loss that our family has experienced or you've personally experienced. And if that's your story, we're with you today as a church as well. I'm so sorry. Really am. When I think of the different trials, even tragedies that we face in life, the hope that I have is our hope in Jesus, that he has overcome whatever we're facing. And it's interesting, while we have this hope in Jesus, when we think of following him, we think that we're going to have this life free from heartache, free from loss, free from trials of any kind. But Jesus didn't say, you will not have trouble. Rather, Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. When life gets hard, the world tells us to quit the job, end the relationship, bail. But when we quit, when we walk away, when we just give up, you know what we miss out on? We miss out on God moving through the trial. So we're going to face trials. With Jesus, without Jesus, we're going to encounter trials. We're going to encounter trouble. What's the difference of encountering a trial with Jesus? Like, How do we navigate the trials of life, the challenges before us, with Jesus? Well, like motherhood, following Jesus is harder than we think. But the outcome, it's so much better than we could imagine. So to learn about God's presence in our trials and how we can navigate them with Jesus. Please turn with me to Acts chapter 6, verse 8 and following. We're going to look at the story of Stephen and how he navigated a trial with Jesus. Now, if you need a Bible, you can, of course, follow along on our free church app, where there's also a place you can jot down some notes during the message. As you're getting to Acts 6, verse 8, let me just bring us all back up to speed on what's been happening in the book of Acts and what we've covered thus far in this Unleashed series. We've been in this series because we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, and what we've learned is that that actually starts with recognizing our identity. Jesus painted this clear picture for his first disciples when he said this. He said, look, you are, you're essentially missionaries. Okay, so now go live on mission. That mission has become a movement since. He tells them to go and bear witness in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, this new identity, it's taking shape, it's taking form for the early church, it's taking shape and form for us as the church today. And we're rallying around the story of God by the power of God. And like the early church, we're trying to live Boldly. Now, 
as the early church lived boldly, time and again, the apostles found themselves before the Sanhedrin, the religious council of the day, and they were getting their hands slapped because they were preaching about Jesus and the Sanhedrin didn't like that. Now, on one such occasion, one of the religious leaders, Gamaliel, a Pharisee, religious leader himself, a respected one, he said this in regards to the apostles preaching about Jesus. This is in Acts 5, 38 and 39. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Little did he or the Sanhedrin know what that foreshadowed, the, the prophetic nature of what he just said was. And it's here, a chapter later in Acts 6, that we pick up the story. And as we jump in, let me pray for us and ask that we hear from God now as we read his word. God, you are so good, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it provides hope and encouragement as we face trials and challenges of many kinds. Would you encourage us? Would you lift our spirits even today as we hear from you from your word and we learn from Stephen's story? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Acts 6, 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Imagine being described this way. A man or a woman full of God's grace and power. This is what we hope for, right? We, we hope that we get to be a part of a work of God. We, we experience God move through us. That's what we dream of when we come to Jesus. Well, how does it continue? Verse 9, opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Stephen's ministry was like oil and water with the religious of the day. And because of that, tension rises. The religious come, they oppose Stephen, and they find themselves in this conflict. They're butting heads, and they realize that they're suddenly over their heads. Because, as the text put it, the wisdom the Spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. Isn't that incredible? Like, who is that for you? Who is a Stephen in your life? Someone who is just wise, their wisdom extends beyond their personal experience. It can only be explained having been received from God. Maybe it's your mom. You know, that's great when you're asking for advice, but when you're not, it can be kind of annoying. Maybe, maybe the Stephen in your life is a mentor. Someone who just asks great questions, draws out insight that you didn't even know you had in yourself, helps you problem solve something. Who is it for you? What, it, what would it look like for you and for me to be a Stephen for others? Like that if we had wisdom and power from God that we could use to encourage others, to lift them up, to reveal Jesus to them. Well, the religious can't take it any longer. They're, they've had enough. So what they do, realizing they're in over their heads, they stir up some, some tension, some conflict with others. And they have these others lie about Stephen. 
And now this draws the attention from the higher-ups, the Sanhedrin, and this is the same group of people who had Jesus crucified and had the apostles flogged. So you could say things were on the up and up for Stephen. Stephen's staring at the Sanhedrin as they stare back at him, and Luke describes the face-off for us this way in verse 15. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw his face was like the face of an angel. The presence of God was so undeniable in Stephen that even those who opposed him saw God's presence in him. Imagine, imagine being so characterized by the presence of God that even those who oppose us can't deny God's presence in us. Continues in Acts 7, 1 through 3. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. When put on the stand, Stephen's testimony was God's story. He recounts Israel's history. He starts at the starting point for the Sanhedrin's faith. From Abraham to Moses, Stephen just recounts it all with great detail. We're not able to get into it today, but with great detail, he recounts their story. And he proves that it's not just the Jewish story, it's also the Christian story. That God is doing more here. And in verse 39, Stephen just makes his point. He says, But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. Stephen's point, what was true of our ancestors then is true of you, religious leaders, now. Rejecting God in the present. Like, you're not seeing it. You're not getting it. That's what he's, he's telling. He's like a bold statement to these guys. And then he continues from Joshua, who led the Israelites into the promised land, to Solomon, who built the temple. He continues to, with great detail, recount Israelites, the Israelites' history. And then he proves his point that it's not about the place. It's not about the temple. It's about the person when he says this. Now in verse 48, however, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. This was a not-so-subtle blow to the religious leaders who their whole world oriented around the temple, the place of God's presence. But Stephen, full of God's presence, just calls them on it and says, guys, it's not about the place, it's about the person. How many of us rely on a place or an event today as our dose of God for the week or statistically speaking for the month. We go to a church service and maybe it's the only time that we encounter God throughout the week or we only open the Bible or only follow along on a screen when it's read for a message. What do you suppose would be the difference if we pursued God daily. Like, if we recognize the fact that the Spirit of the living God is living in us, 
If we follow Jesus, that's our reality. So we need to live into that reality. Stephen continues and he pulls no punches as he concludes his, this is the punchline of his speech, a rather long speech that I've summarized thus far, but here's where he lands the plane. He says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through the angels, but you have not obeyed it. Stephen essentially says, your ancestors, they persecuted the prophets. They prophesied about the Messiah, but you actually killed the Messiah. You pride yourselves on your obedience to God, and yet you disobeyed when it mattered most. You haven't just rejected God, you killed God. What do you, that's getting a little intense, isn't it? Like, should we just replay that kid's video? The Sanhedrin stare at Stephen becomes a glare. And they have had enough. Like, enough is enough. And the story continues. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, adding just insult to injury for the religious leaders. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. The words of Jesus ring true, even in tragedy. I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. What can we learn from Stephen's story about navigating trials with Jesus, even tragedy with Jesus? It starts with this, don't take it personal. Because it's not personal, it's spiritual. The religious leaders, they weren't just rejecting Stephen, they were rejecting the Spirit of God in Stephen. They were rejecting God. I hesitate to share my faith with others because I fear rejection. Like, what are they going to think of me? What are they going to do? Are they, will they continue to be my friend? But as I look at Stephen here, I see that I can't take it personal because it's not personal, it's spiritual. So we can't fear rejection. We can't fear, you know, because if we are, what we're doing is we're actually taking a spiritual issue and we're making it a personal issue, but it shouldn't be. We're going to be rejected. Jesus was rejected. Stephen was rejected. I'm rejected. You're going to be rejected. But when we're rejected, let's not take it personal. Let's realize that it's actually spiritual. Now, Jesus actually counseled, coached his disciples in this when he taught them to share their faith. He would send them out in twos, and he would tell them, okay, 
go to the town and if if there's peace there share share the good news minister but if there isn't and you're rejected just kick the dust from your feet and move on like move on from the town move on from the person and go to where there's fertile soil where people are open and receptive to the gospel so how did Stephen not take it personally? Because it's one thing to understand we shouldn't take it personally, but how did Stephen not take it personally? Well, that leads us to the second principle we can learn from his story. Two, focus on Jesus. Verse, verses 55 and 56 say this, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open in the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Trials, more than anything else, reveal our focus. For better, for worse. Amanda has always dreamed of having a natural birth. So, with this idea of wanting a natural birth in focus, we decide, all right, we're gonna, she's going to give birth at a birth center, taking an epidural completely off the table. On March 10th, 2020, I woke up with plans to ski that day. She woke up with early signs of labor. Now, we've done this before, and we realize they can take some time. So she tells me, hey, just go ski, enjoy your day, and you know we'll see how things progress. So I hop in my car, and off I go. Of course not. That's not the story I want to tell. It's not the dad I want to be. And I'm so glad I didn't do that, because later that morning, her water broke which means it's game time. Well, for her. I'm gonna cheer her on from the side, but it's, it's go time. We're getting ready, we're, we're gearing up, and things progress slowly throughout the rest of the day, and then at midnight, we arrive at the birth center. Each contraction is, is hard, it's painful, but progress is made. Amanda's rocking it, she is doing so good. We're tired, but she is strong, and everything's going well. And then the midwife, checks Amanda to see how far along she is. And then she has this perplexed look on her face. She goes and grabs another more experienced midwife to check Amanda as well. And this midwife checks Amanda and then just looks up and says, you're fully dilated, but you can't deliver here. Whoa, what? What do you mean you can't, she can't deliver here? She like wants to push the baby out, I retort. The baby is face up and it's not safe to deliver here. So would you like to drive yourselves or take an ambulance to the hospital? She responds. That, that, that's the best. An ambulance eventually arrives. The EMTs load Amanda in the back and she at this point, she just wants to push the baby out, but they won't let her. We're not allowed. It's not safe. We don't know why. So an EMT looks at me and says, are you going to drive yourself or are you riding it with us? Riding with you. I'm thinking, are there any other dumb questions you want to ask? He's like, okay, great. You ride shotgun. Whoa, that is not what I was thinking. But stunned by it all, I just get in in the front seat. We ride to the hospital and it was the longest five minutes of my life and an eternity for Amanda. This is worst case scenario. Is Amanda gonna be okay? Is our daughter gonna be okay? What are we walking into? 
all I could do is pray. All I could do is pray and text our family to pray with us. And by God's grace, 30 minutes later, Amanda got to hold a healthy Chloe in her arms. To navigate a trial bigger than us, our focus needs to be on the one who is greater than us. Where is your focus right now? God is bigger than whatever we're facing, but he only appears bigger when he's in the forefront of our mind's eye. So to navigate the trial, focus on Jesus first and foremost. And when we do this, it actually leads us to be able to do the third thing we see Stephen do, which is this, love like Jesus. It's the hardest step of them all. It's the last thing that we want to do in the moment. But it's what Stephen does as he cries out in Acts 7, 60. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. It sounds eerily similar to what Jesus said on the cross in Luke 23. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Whether it's trial, trauma, even tragedy, loving like Jesus is only possible if we first focus on Jesus. And when we do, when Jesus is our focus, we can love like him. Instead of storming out, we extend grace. Instead of holding a grudge, we're the first to forgive. It's hard. It's really hard. And all I can say is start praying now that you have the strength of the Spirit then. What we learn from Stephen is that we don't need to take it personal. We need to focus on Jesus and we need to love like Jesus. This is how we show up in trial, in trauma, in tragedy, when we have a relationship with Jesus. But where is God in the midst of all of this? So glad you asked. Because that's what Luke highlights next. And this is now in Acts chapter 8, 1 through 4. And Saul approved of their killing. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he looked at his followers and he said, When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, for some time, the Holy Spirit had been forming and shaping the early church in Jerusalem. It was taking shape. It was taking form. And then persecution breaks out. And the, the religious try to squash the church with a hammer named Saul. If only they knew, squashing the church is like squashing jello. In the late 1940s, there were about 3 million Christians in China. Then over the next three decades, because of the Communist Party's influence, there was heavy government persecution of Christians in China. Three decades later, you know how many Christians there were? 
There are estimates that there were 75 million Christians three decades later after heavy persecution. 14 months ago, the gathered church on Sundays suddenly was digitally dispersed throughout the week due to COVID. Has COVID sucked? Yes. Is God moving in the middle of it? You better believe it. Because of technology, in the day and age that we live, the churches now, many more churches have online presences with their ministries, services, resources, etc. That has amped up tremendously over the last 14 months. And now, by God's grace, to the ends of the earth is getting a whole lot closer. Now, do you know what else COVID has amplified? Disconnection. Now help me out, church. If you've been with us for any length of time, type it in the chat with me. What's our mission? To connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. Could it be that God has us here in this time and place for such a time as this? Until everyone is connected with God, the church, and their purpose, we will not back down. We will face trouble, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world, and Jesus is going to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Because our confidence is this. We see it in Scripture. We see it in Stephen. We see it in the early church. Without God, what we do goes nowhere. With God, what we do goes everywhere. Like Jell-O.